Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. It's time for the church to acknowledge that we have brothers and sisters who are gay. LGBTs have to find a household of worship that reflects what your views are and what you believe. A gay person who still wants to attend church after the way the church has treated the gay community, I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. They have more faith than a lot of you. What's not loving is to look someone in the eye when God says they are in jeopardy of an eternity in hell and merely wink and nod at their sin because you're afraid of being called names. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Let's open the mail, shall we? It's the Wretched Radio mail call delivery Q&A infotainment nationwide extravaganza featuring your voicemails, correspondences, <laughs> communiques, dispatches, memorandums and missives. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? What we need right now is a clear message to the people of this country. You have 1,200 messages. It is a bit above average. Now here's your host, Todd, freakishly tall for the mail is here! Ooh, this is Wretched Radio. Please be prolific. Why? Today typically is the day reserved for mailbag stuff, but all next week, while some Christian radio programs are taking a vacation, not us! We're going to be mailbagging all week, and that means if you don't send questions, comments, conundrums, snarks to idea at wretched.org, there's going to be a lot of dead air. Hold that thought. Perhaps you like that idea. Whatever your motivation is, please send wretched stuff to idea at wretched.org. All right, we start with Chris. Todd, need your help with this. My church is soon going to be hosting a preacher that I'm not too big a fan of. <laughs> I'm on the worship team, so expected to be there, but I don't want to be there. I was <laughs> considering going on vacation for that week uh, to avoid the event. Uh, am I in sin here? <laughs> well, I don't know your heart if you're murdering the guy. Yeah, you would be. <laughs> but is it a sin to maybe conveniently take a little vacation to avoid something that could be a potential conflict in the church? I wouldn't say that, but... I would suggest there is an alternative, and that is simply telling whoever's responsible, if you don't mind, I'd like to sit this one out. They might say, why? Well, I just prefer that. If they keep persisting and they force you to tip your hand, you could say, for these reasons, I'd rather not participate. I'm, I'm sure you're okay with that because I'm not forsaking the assembling of the saints. So I think taking that route where we talk to each other loving, no, no, take a vacation. Don't have a chance. We should be able to talk about these things lovingly, and hopefully you can. Idea at wretched.org. All right. Our next question is from Rana, who says, Todd, should women teach deep theology to other women? I've heard it suggested that there's a deeper theology that should only be taught by elders. Hmm. All right. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. It happens. I'm thinking of any Bible verse that would make a distinction about the type of theology that a woman can teach another woman. I think of Titus that says women are to teach, older women are to teach younger women. Does that mean only certain things? Well, the context is teaching the woman to be pure and godly, submissive, running a home. And that's that's what it's telling the older women to teach the younger women. But I would suggest to you, rather than saying there's some sort of theological level distinctive there, you've got to use theology to teach those things. We can't teach anybody 
you're always teaching theology, whether you're aware of it or not. If you're talking about godliness, you're teaching theology. So if an older woman is going to teach a younger woman those things, she is teaching theology. So I have to ask myself the question, is there a Bible verse that would say there is a line that can't be crossed? And if there is, how do we define that? Uh, How would we know what that is? So a woman can teach another woman, say, from Norman Geisler's systematic theology, but not Millard Erickson's, because that's just, like, too high. I I just don't see an explicit, or dare I say, even implicit text that would create a distinction, a level of theology that would be prohibited from one woman to teach another. And might I add, there's a lot of smart women that are very good theologians, and it would be a crime to limit that. The only restriction the Bible puts on a woman teaching, whether it's shallow or deep theology, is the office and usurping the authority of the elder. Otherwise, I don't see that distinction. If you do, you can send it to idea at wretched.org. All right. Our next question comes from Madison. Todd, as I graduate from my youth group, I'm a little worried about transitioning into the young adult ministry at my church because they meet less frequently. Mm. Will I be fed less? Is it up to me now to feed myself? What yeah. can I do to match what I'm losing? Yeah. Well, I would. good on you. First of all, I would say you can talk to your elders and say, you know, just for whatever it's worth, we used to meet this much. Now it looks like we're only going to be meeting that. I'd love to be meeting more. I'm I'm, I'm one of those. And, and you can deliver that lovingly and respectfully to them and see what they do. And if they don't respond for whatever reason, we'll honor them because we don't know everything that's going on in the church. Then, yep, you, you would have to find food elsewhere. Or you could still find it in the church by leading something yourself. Hey, are you one of the 20-somethings or whatever the age group thing is? You want to get together? We remember how we used to meet on Tuesdays too. Let's let's do that. Just us, and and you could do a Bible study together. It is up to you to keep feeding yourself. Now, make no mistake about it. The shepherd is indeed delivering the meal for us. But if you're continually hungry, that's a most excellent thing. You're just you're just going to have to find a way to get your belly full. And I got to tell you. Thanks for the encouragement. It's nice when you hear somebody who's young be concerned that they're not going to get enough church. Whoa. Idea at wretched.org. This next question is from Hannah. Todd, what are the indications of a true believer versus a professing unbeliever, especially in the cases where a person appears to believe, feel, say, and do all the right things? So are we talking about true and false converts here? I, I think so. I think that's the, the intention of the question. Well, the, 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 ultimately, God is the one who knows determinatively. He is the one definitively this, this is the status. And yet there are signs. Are the, does the individual who professes to be a follower of Jesus Christ act like it? Because typically, if you dig a little bit, you're going to find some things that are concerning. You might find some theological wonkiness. Jesus warned us, good fish, rotten fish, wise virgins, foolish virgins, wheat and tares. The church can have an awful lot of rotten fish inside of it. Now, the, the trick is that we don't become fishermen trying to find the rotten fish to yank them out of the church pond. That That's not the... 
attitude that we should possess. But when we run into somebody and their life isn't in alignment with their theology, you might you might be concerned. Not definitely, because let's be honest, if somebody took a magnifying glass to all of us, they're going to find some stuff. But in general, is the person growing in godliness? Are they conformed increasingly into the image of Jesus Christ? And if they are, and if their profession of faith is sound, be careful that you don't judge beyond that, because we start to get into a territory where we can be pretty um, much a church that has a membership of one idea at wretched.org. All right. Next from Aaliyah. Todd, I've been using sinful entertainment as, as a distraction lately, and I'm struggling to stop. I watch it. I feel nothing. And it's almost as though I'm really dead to it. Mm. Yet it's hard to stop. Yeah. I think I struggle with assurance, but I'm not sure if that's really the root of this issue or not. But it's all, no, then, Well, no. Um, the, the, your lack of assurance is a fruit. There, there's something going on deeper down there. And what you're describing, I'm afraid, is the inevitable progression of a seared conscience. Now, I'm not saying that of you. I'm just saying that a seared conscience doesn't typically happen overnight. It's progressive. Ignore that. Ignore that. Ignore that. Ignore that. Ignore that. Ignore that. Ignore everything. I don't care about God. It's a progression. And if you are headed in that direction, you need to put the brakes on lickety split and you need to divorce that entertainment. No, you need to murder that entertainment, not mortify, murder it, be done, smash it, crack my computer, cause it, kill it because it's searing your conscience. Get it out. It is time for serious measures to amputate the limbs that are causing you to die. Get rid of it and then start feeding yourself. Start understanding increasingly the goodness of your God, the love of God in Christ Jesus, and you will want to sin less and less, and your conscience will slowly but progressively become increasingly sensitive, and that is the place where you want to be. Idea at wretched.org. Was it, was it John Owen that said, be killing sin? Or, or it's going to be killing you. Yeah. It's true, and if you haven't been killing sin for a bit— chances are fair. You're going backwards. If you're not progressing in sanctification, you're likely regressing because sin is so sneaky, just imperceptibly deceptive. It lies. It perpetually lies. And it wants to drag you to the bottom of the ocean. So if you are not paddling like a nobody's business to keep your head above water, you're drowning. So take a moment, take a little bit of time, and just ask yourself some examination questions. Am I fighting sin the way I used to fight it? Do I have the practices that I used to find so easy to, to, to apply in my life? Am I doing those anymore? Am I as faithful in some of the disciplines? Or have I decided, nah, don't really need that as much as I used to? Be careful. You, you you could be, well, I would even go a little stronger than that. You, you likely are in need of some shoring up. This is Wretched Radio. 
So you aren't convinced of the importance of training godly men to rightly divide the word of truth in churches internationally? Well then, we'll let Paul Washer convince you. You have to support men who are elder qualified proclaimers of the word. When we support a man coming out of TMAI, we know not only that he is properly trained, but we know that he will still be supervised. Would you please join TMAI, the Master's Academy International, in advancing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through expository preaching in local churches around the globe. It's a magnificent ministry and it's so important. Please consider partnering with TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Thank you for supporting indigenous pastors around the world. Well, thanks to our amazing gospel partners around here, we have been able to accomplish some pretty amazing things in 2023. This past year, we were able to launch Season 2 of Transformed. We launched Wretched Worldview 2. And let's not forget Season 4 of Road Trip to Truth, plus hundreds of hours of Wretched TV and radio. Now, what's possible for 2024? Well, we are excited to tell you about something new that we'll be starting next year. Can't let the cat out of the bag just yet, but what we can tell you is we need your help in order to make it happen. That's why we want you to prayerfully consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. And right now through the end of the year, when you do that, every donation you give will be matched dollar for dollar. So join us, become a gospel partner today, and together let's make 2024 even wretched-er. In a good way, of course. I believe in a culture of life. One of the most impactful moments of my life was when I heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh, in my wife's womb and then saw the sonograms of all three of my kids. The sonogram or the, the pictures that are taken of babies, still a profoundly helpful tool, which encourages me to encourage you to consider supporting Preborn Ministries. Preborn Ministries and their network clinics, they are giving away free ultrasounds to women, but they do cost something. It's $28 an ultrasound. And just as you heard Governor DeSantis say, his view of life was profoundly changed when he saw the baby in the womb when you see the form and the shape and the fingers and the heartbeat would you please consider supporting preborn it's a great ministry of life it has a high anthropology shares the gospel with women and with the dads preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched know your church fathers Athenagoras was a Christian philosopher in Athens who used his training to defend the Christian faith against Roman persecution. He wrote on the resurrection of the dead, arguing that the nature of God, the nature of humanity, and the concept of justice only make sense if there is a physical resurrection. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Keep them coming. Keep those questions, comments, conundrums, or snarks a coming, because... We're going to be needing them. This is Wretched Radio next week. Five days dedicated to you. Questions, comments, conundrums, snarks. So please send us stuff, would you? Okay. That, w- that was your cue okay. right there. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, okay, we- Pavlov. 
Send your stuff to idea at wretched.org. Now that's my cue. There All right. you have it. <laughs> this is from Travis. It's an interesting question. I think it deserves some attention. He says, uh, Todd, I feel called into discernment ministry, but I'm unsure how to engage false teaching. Uh, he says he feels like interrupting services where these lies are being spewed, but knows there's obviously a more tactful way to handle it. <laughs> sure. And it was wondering how you think how you think he should go about it. <laughs> There's there's much to be said about the subject of discernment. Hey, we have a resource called Drive-By Discernment. That might be awfully helpful for you. It's available at wretched.org. Do I think you should go to a church where there's a lousy preacher and stand up and shout him down? I don't think so. I It just creates chaos. I think all it does is, is repels people more than actually helps. Now, I will tell you that I can understand being in a church service where you didn't anticipate a stinker and wanting to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, something like that, I it would have to be something really rank. But I need to ask myself the question, if I'm not a member of that congregation, is it my duty to speak up during the service and say something? And I'd lean to the side of no. I think you need to wait. It, it's really just be to practice some good manners and address the fellow afterwards, knowing that it probably won't do much good unless it's a guy who just gaffed. He just, boop, didn't mean to say that. Sorry, thank you for bringing it to my attention. I'll correct that immediately. Can you go about the business, though, of talking about them? Yes, but you need to remember what type of person you're talking about. Are you talking about a believer who said something false? Or are you talking about a false teacher who said something heretical? There's a big difference because if you're talking about somebody who's a brother and you disagree with something, personally, I don't think you need to name names. I just don't think you have to. Could there be a time and could you wrap it with some cotton candy? Hey, I really like this guy. Been a big blessing to me, but... And then off you go, judging whatever it is that happens to be your concern. I don't think that's necessary. Just talk about it, right? If you're you're a blogger, write it. Just write an article about what's wrong with that type of thinking, and why your understanding of the Bible is better, without dragging a brother down. Now, if the person is a false teacher, can you name them? Yep. Do you need to? Not always. Can you? Absolutely. The Bible does. Paul didn't hesitate. And there's so many examples in the Bible of names being named of guys that would probably prefer their names were not written down in the Bible. Have you met any kids named Judas lately? Judas Iscariot, his name is written down and he's actually judged as a false convert. So it is okay to name names. Just remember, there are some rules that are involved in apologetics. And if you dig apologetics, that is cool. But please become an apologist. Study it, not just good theology so you can discern false, but how to practice apologetics. This is so often forgotten. I, I, have, the, I have the gift of discernment. Pew, pew, pew. And they spend no time thinking. Read the letters of John Newton. So helpful. He's writing to a fellow pastor who has told him he's going to publicly critique another Christian. And John Newton sends him a lengthy diatribe, encouraging him, be careful how you do this. You don't want to cause division among the brethren. In other words, Newton realized it's not enough to simply point out false 
It's discerning whether or not it should be done, needs to be done, can be done, and how we go about the business of marking and potentially dividing. So if you're going to study apologetics, don't just study good theology. Study how to discern and send your stuff to idea at wretched.org. All right. This next question is from Abram. Judge not. Judge not. There's there, we, there's there's a there's there's a few chapters in a book I wrote called Judge Not that deals with this particular subject, and I'm pretty sure that we that we went through some of these rules too in Drive by Discernment, because I, I it's it's interesting when I studied the subject, you know you I do what you do. Okay, well, how do others do? What are the rules of discernment? Right, that was supposed to be a whistle. <laughs> Jimmy, can you whistle for me? No. What's going on? <laughs> I just can't whistle. Well, there's sort of a lame whistle. Couldn't find much. Really, I don't think I found anything. That, that nobody said, hey, let's talk about the steps. Let's talk about categorizing people. Let's talk about levels of differences. Now, a lot of that stuff is out there in various forms, but I didn't find anything that said, you need to consider this, you need to consider this, you need to consider that. And we need all of us to learn them their rules because we have an awful lot of bad apologetics happening inside of the local church. Forget the internet. Woo! You can find a lot of bad apologetics there, but it also happens inside of the local church. You don't need to be judging everything. Now, on the other hand, if you judge nothing, that's a problem too. But you need to think it through. Uh, okay, so uh, here, here was an example. Your pastor, your faithful pastor, he gets up and he quotes Joel Osteen. I don't know, maybe he got hit in the head on the way up there. And uh, you're like, whoa, what's the deal here? Okay, do you, do you approach the guy? Well, Maybe, probably, to say, hey, Pastor, I'm just curious. It sounded like you were affirming Joel Osteen. Who? Joel Osteen. You, you talked about, well, I, I don't know who the guy is. I just, read a, I just read a quote, and I thought it was pretty decent, which we all know is highly unlikely. The point of this fantastic scenario is you, you would approach him respectfully, asking, do you know these things? Is there a reason you did that? Did you intend to do that? That's different than standing up in the church and going, heretic, quoter of the Joel Osteen. Now, what if, what if you walk into the pastor's office and you look at his computer screen and there's an image up there that ain't good? How do you approach that? Some people would probably say nothing and then go tell everybody else about it. Wrong. You would talk directly to the man, pastor. What is that image doing? Not because you want to throw the man under the bus, but because you realize potentially there's a man in danger here. This could be a shepherd who is straying. I hope not, but what's going on? And the pastor goes, whoa, whoa, how did that get up there? Whoa, uh, no, that doesn't go. Go ahead, check my search engine. I'm telling you, that's that. I was at a... In fact, I was, I did this morning, there was at the Daily White, there's a newspaper and there was an article about a medication and I clicked on it. And then on the right hand side, it's all celebrity stuff. And you could tell just periphery, a lot of skin over there. Okay. I click. And I, I just get out of that. I don't care what the article is. It ain't worth it. So I, I get out of that. But 
let's just let's just say the pastor was reading the same article and he clicked one of those stories on the side by mistake when you came in and there it is you see the the woman in the bikini well you you would approach him as if he were a father and you ask him what's happening and you listen to his explanation now if it sounds hinky like uh that doesn't seem all that plausible pastor i'm concerned about this could you consider possibly Telling another elder because of the potential level of this? Yes, you could. But the entire time, it should be a hopeful, I sure hope that that isn't the case that's going on there. And you could bring in somebody else because of the gravity of the potential sin. Now, what if you walk into your pastor's office and he has on his computer screen um, a an article by... Rick Warren. You make a blog about him. You make a blog about him. That's what you do. <laughs> That's right. Now you, hey, why, why, why are you reading Rick Warren stuff? You're thinking you going seeker sensitive here, and maybe he's saying, "Oh, I want to study it because we're going to be talking about First Timothy two twelve this week, the role of women in the church and pastoral eldership being reserved for males." Um, so I, I want to understand the argument. Okay, and away you go. How we approach it, crucial. When we approach it, crucial. What are the issues do we approach? Crucial. You see a dad in the parking lot. You've known this guy now for years because you don't do Zoom church. You actually assemble faithfully and you know the guy. And he used to be a crackhead. He's gotten saved. He's cleaned up. He's been holding a job. He's so great with his wife and kids. It's amazing. And you hear him go, hey, come out of that car. Do you have to go after him? Probably not. One off. Now, if you hear him yelling at his kids all the time, hey, bro, why don't we go have a cup of coffee and talk about how we men can be a little bit more um, less than gentlemanly than we should be. But not for one-off stuff. The moral of the story is discern. Yes, how you discern. Please make sure you study the rules of discernment. This is Wretched Radio. And it is now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I am Jimmy Hicks. We start today with an outrageous court ruling forcing a pro-life activist to pay Planned Parenthood $16 million simply for exposing their grisly aborted baby parts trade. David Daladin, surely a name you recognize, revealed years ago that Planned Parenthood executives haggled over liver, brain, and other infant organ prices, and he has videos the abortion giant desperately wants suppressed. And while Planned Parenthood rakes in taxpayer money and profits from killing unborn children for no reason at all, they somehow are playing the victim, demanding tens of millions of dollars more for quote-unquote damages. Talk about perverse justice. And speaking of wayward institutions, a new report exposed that over 70 so-called Christian colleges promote abortion and even partner with Planned Parenthood. Investigators found campus health services at religious schools prescribing morning-after pills and off-campus abortions while linking students to Planned Parenthood resources. When parents are spending fortunes to get their kids in actual Christian universities with biblical values, or so they thought, this betrayal corrupts youth and makes a mockery of Christianity, doesn't it? And up in Progressive Canada, here's a tragic case highlighted by the deadly fruit of legalizing euthanasia. 
Let me tell you about it. A woman was diagnosed with terminal cancer and resorted to assisted suicide after waiting over 10 weeks just to receive treatment for her pain. So instead of allocating resources to actually help vulnerable patients, Canada decides, well, let's hurry her to death because she's a little bit too burdensome. What a vision of healthcare and the Hippocratic Oath. Way to go, Canada. Meanwhile, the New Jersey Pregnancy Center filed suit last week against the state attorney general for religious discrimination. The complaint alleges that the AG exploited regulations to selectively target pro-life clinics with malicious lies about links to extremism. And the smear campaign by the attorney general has already shuttered several faith-based centers who are serving women in need. Yet the actual violence that's being performed by pro-abortion terrorists draw no concern from anyone. Not at all. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Important dates in Christian history. 385 AD. In Milan, Bishop Ambrose defies the Empress. This event helped to establish the precedent of the church confronting the state when necessary to protect Christian teaching and oppose injustice and corruption in government. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Well, as long as the subject has been brought up, this is Wretched Radio. What are the rules of engagement when it comes to discernment? Ran to my office and grabbed Judge Not by one Todd Frielius, an entire section dedicated to discernment because it was my observation. We have a tendency to fire, maybe aim later, possibly, but typically we're pretty quick, some of us, to just. On the other hand, you've got people, they don't even put on their holster, they refuse to fire. So, tried to find the balance of discernment to encourage. We should be judging. Now, you do have Christians who judge Christians for judging Christians, which is judgmental. So the issue is not should we judge, but how do we go about doing it? And so I codified what I think are some rules. There are times to name names. There are times to not name names. But then we get into the chapter titled Circular Firing Squads, where we shoot indiscriminately at everybody. That is not discernment. That's nasty. That's what that is. It starts out with your attitude. This this one, you might just need a little theological adjustment on this. Our starting position should not be everyone is a heretic but me. And, and some of the people that I follow on the internet. No, that's that's not the... We hope. Please let this be an error. I want that guy to be saved. That's the attitude that we should. Oh, I hope I misunderstood this. Oh, maybe the guy, his medication, because he he had a kidney stone and he was on some medication and now he's talking like a noodle. Let's hope it's some. That's the attitude that we should possess. We judge wisely. And then we follow some rules of engagement. So here we are. We are to judge the teachings of other Christians. But that does not mean we have to reprimand every word carelessly uttered by a fellow believer. We never turn off our Berean discernment filters, writes Frielius. Anytime another Christian speaks of spiritual things, we do judge. But that doesn't mean we need to chirp up for each and every perceived inaccurate statement. What did they say? What did, what did they mean by that? 
Did everybody in the room get it? Okay, okay. We, we need to discern. Anytime a fellow Christian acts in a questionable way, we judge. We are to point out sin to one another. That would be your James 5.20, Rexella. But before you come to church to just interrogate, investigate, and be a busybody, there's some sins we judge, other stuff you overlook. If someone commits a gross sin, uh, yeah. If someone lives in an ongoing lifestyle of unrepentant sin, yes, we judge. If somebody is sinning in a way that brings public dishonor to God, we judge them. But if someone is growing in holiness, commits a one-off sin that you deserve or that you observe, you don't need to judge it. You might. It depends on the severity of it, but you don't have to do that. If the person in question is a faithful pastor, you can let it go if it involves a non-essential issue. If the context of a questionable quote is not known, do research before you cry wolf. If you read a tweet about your favorite teacher, from your favorite teacher, it seems off. Maybe or they're, somebody's tweeting about him. Are, are you sure they quoted him right? Sure there wasn't a fuller context to that? I, I have the posture that says, no, I hope all things here. I put the best construction on things. If you disagree with a brother, ask yourself if it is imperative you speak to him about it. If you determine it's a subject worth engaging, then gentleness, respect, and love must be employed. If you determine it is necessary to warn others, speak about the person as if he is in the room with you. Oh, that's a little bit of a challenge, isn't it? If you choose to publicly disagree with a believer, make it clear you're not labeling him a heretic unless, of course, you think he's a heretic. We separate from people who are false teachers, but we do not separate from people with whom we have a disagreement in non-essential issues, nor from someone who doesn't separate from someone who doesn't separate from someone who doesn't separate from someone with whom we disagree. In other words, got to watch out for those degrees of separation. You, Jimmy? Yes? I met a guy from Tennessee who knows you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. He has a friend who loves Joyce Meyer. You're a heretic, Jimmy. <laughs> I'm a kid. <laughs> hey, what I did there? We Those degrees of separation. Look. I, I really do get it because I can actually hear somebody right now saying, whoa, 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 with a degree. That's true. They, it does get a little choppy and tricky. I think Phil Johnson and I did a pretty extended discussion about this at G3 about 50 years ago. The degrees of separation, how we've got to be careful. Now, what what if... Jimmy, I know Jimmy, yes, and a, a really good friend of yours uh, that 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 you say is a brother is into uh, that that he's he's reading Joyce Meyer. Oh, that's sad. okay. Well, that, did you know about that, Jimmy? Did, no, no. Were you aware of that? Uh-uh. Oh, too bad. You're a heretic anyway. <laughs> oh, you, you, there's there. I get it. It can be tricky. But let's be mindful of degrees of separation. There are essentials versus non-essentials. There are whopper sins. There's eh, sins that we overlook. All right. So here's a, a scenario. Matilda, clearly an old person. Matilda is a Christian who appears to be growing in holiness week after week. She's in church, regularly volunteers in the nursery. She attends two Bible studies. One Sunday, you pull into the church parking lot. 
and you overhear Matilda speaking to her grandson. Do you mention it to Matilda? Because she was sharp? Nope. Because we're not the sin police. We'd, we'd have time for nothing else if that's all we did. On Monday, you're driving to work and you pull up next to Matilda's van. And while you can't hear, you can see that Matilda is screaming at her grandson. On Tuesday, you call Matilda to ask her for her grandmother's amazing pound cake recipe. Before Matilda puts the phone to her mouth, you hear her scream, Shut up! Granny's on the phone! As Wednesday, at Wednesday church meeting, which is something we Christians used to do, you watch Matilda fiercely grab her grandson's arm as she rips him out of the pew to take him to the back of the church to have that special chat. Now, you've observed a pattern of sin. You should think about talking her to her. You shouldn't accuse, but lovingly talk to your sister in the Lord. It could be something as simple as, Matilda, I've known you for so long. God has blessed me by allowing me to be in this church with you. And that's why when I, I saw you with your grandson, I was just, I thought that's not the Matilda that I, that I know and love. And what if Matilda says, what? I, I, I am? I have? Oh, no. Uh, would you please excuse me? I need to go apologize to my grandson. I've been under so much pressure. You know, the insurance policy, it didn't come through. I don't know if the house is going to be taken away. Please forgive me, but I got to go. Okay. What if that happened? But instead, you chose, okay, Matilda, little cranky today, again with a grandson. How we approach these things, when we approach these things, the expectation, do you offer help? Do you lovingly challenge? Do you help her to overcome a potential sin? On and on, you get the point. But as long as we're talking about it, you attend the same church as a teenager named Brandon. Aren't they all? You overhear some kids from the youth group giggling that Brandon has been fornicating with his girlfriend. Huh, there's a conundrum, discerning Christian. Do you overlook this sin? And by the way, might I ask, when we initially said, let's talk about discernment, did you think it was just going to be theology? It's not. It's discerning one another, life, and how we can all get to Celestial City together doesn't have to do primarily or particularly with theology. It's how we interact with one another. Do you overlook Brandon's sin like you did the first time you saw Matilda crab at her son or grandson? No. Maybe you ask the kids who claim that Brandon's been frisky with his girlfriend. Excuse me, I overheard that. That is a very serious statement to make. Why are you saying that about a brother? And you, you find out what's going on. If it's, if it's not true, then you need to tell them to repent, stop gossiping, and clean up their mess as much as they can. If it is true, you should tell the kids to stop gossiping and then go to Brandon. You say, whoa, I'm going to somebody else's kid. Well, if he's a teenager, you can. Now, depending on Brandon's response, you can go to Brandon's parents and involve them. There are some times when we need to judge on a sin issue, and there are other times when we don't need to judge on every single sin or theological issue. I'm not saying that these rules are always easy, and that applying them is easy. Woofta, that's the tough part, isn't it? But if we don't have any bumpers on our discernment, well, then we're going to be pretty much like 
the way the internet is right now. <laughs> and I got to tell you, if you're listening to a discernment ministry and you don't hear them exercising any restraint, controls, or you, or even a time for it, you know the big story about the big person and the big gaffe that happened. And you know they're talking about it, but they're not talking about the person directly because they're practicing discernment. Be listening. In other words, discern the discerners. This is Wretched Radio. As you know, we like to talk about MediShare here because it's affordable biblical health sharing. And I actually saw an ad from MediShare announcing themselves to missionaries. How smart is that? What a blessing that might be. If you're not familiar with MediShare, it's an alternative to traditional health insurance, which means it's alternatively less expensive. The average family saves about $500 per month. It's Christians sharing the health burdens of other Christians. It's a beautiful thing. Whether you're a missionary or not, if in that is a need you have, I encourage you, metashare.com slash wretched, metashare.com slash wretched, or call them and talk to a nice person who's going to pray for you. And they will tell you what your family can anticipate. And you can ask questions. 844-34-BIBLE. 844-34-BIBLE. Hey, hey, thank you so much for listening to Wretched Radio today. We certainly appreciate you. We appreciate your time. And we appreciate all of you who have given to this ministry over the years. Without your support, we couldn't do the things that we're able to do here. So we are tickled pink that you're a part of it. Now, I do want to speak to those of you that have given to us before, but maybe something came up in your life where you had to stop giving for a period of time. Nobody understands that better than we do. But I would ask that if you are able to maybe possibly join us again as an ongoing monthly gospel partner, we would definitely welcome you back with open arms. We've got some exciting things on the horizon we can't wait to tell you about and we would not be able to do those things that we've got coming up without your support so if you're in a place in your life where you could join us as an ongoing monthly gospel partner we would love for you to prayerfully consider doing that all the answers to any questions you might possibly have about what this would look like is available at wretched.org donate wretched amazing grace amazing gospel i would say the tomorrow clubs is a wonderful ministry kids are getting saved like crazy not just in eastern europe but also in africa and it's so efficient i was just with paul and cindy marty and i asked and it said in, in american currency how much does it cost to have a kid come to a tomorrow club four times a month so every single week what what's the what does it take to make that happen ready a buck one dollar that's it. The kid comes, they get treats, they get materials that they learn the Bible, they memorize a buck because it's it's all volunteer driven. All those dear ones, they're volunteers. It's an amazing ministry. And if you have a heart for the lost in Eastern Europe, Africa, and you love supporting ministries that are super efficient and biblically sound, I would point you in the direction of tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, and ask how many children might I be able to support per month? Books of the Bible. The book of Ruth tells of a Moabite widow who chose to follow the God of Israel and found favor in the eyes of a godly man named Boaz, who claimed her family's land as her kinsman redeemer. Ruth and Boaz 
are the ancestors of Jesus and a foreshadowing of Jesus' work as our kinsman redeemer. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Fine, Jimmy. We'll get back to the mailbag. This is Wretched Radio. I'm not the one who asked the question about discernment. Well, and I had another question. About, about discernment? discernment? <laughs> I did. Oh, boy. You, uh, you, well, you shared all of those principles and all those rules of discernment. Um, and I was wondering, in your opinion. Okay, so this is like a letter from Jimmy. No. Well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but uh, besides you, you can't answer yourself. But in your opinion, who best embodies those principles? Justin Peters yeah, does cool. a fine job. I never, I, Justin can talk. If you listen to Justin, he's, he's, he's just packed in cotton. But if you listen, it's like, clearly he has strong words. I heard, I saw a video of him and it was about Ken Copeland and Ken did some boneheaded thing again. And Justin was pointing it out. And if you've watched enough Justin Peters videos at the very end and Ken Copeland, if you're watching, I've been praying for you. Believe it or not, I do love you, and I don't want you to be damned. Please repent of this apostasy. So I think Justin does a very fine job. Model yourself after those guys. And please note, I don't know that anybody gets it right, but you will know a good discernment. If if you're listening to a discernment ministry that is constantly sounding angry, or like they are the arbiter of all things true, um there's a pretty good chance you might want to discern the discernment ministries that you are listening to. And then you can send whatever you want to discerning me, idea at wretched.org. Okay, this is from Abram. Todd, um, am I not a Christian because I don't have sorrow over my sin? I repent of sin and a desire to rid myself of it, but I just don't feel sadness over it. Well... There should be contrition with repentance. If you look at 2 Corinthians 7, there is an attitude of uh, that you do sorrow over your sin. To what degree? It doesn't say. And you just you just want to be careful. Look, it is good that we examine some of these things. But we also need to remember sometimes you can kind of go through a season as a Christian where for whatever reason, and it, it could be an identifier, it could be a marker that says, ah, you're neglecting something. So it's good to say, all right, I, I'm not as sorrowful as I used to. So something has changed. What is it? Is, is, is it because I haven't been doing this like I used to do? Is it because I'm doing this that I used to not do? And you can use that as an opportunity to see if you need some shoring up or some returning to old ways. But be careful that you don't judge the state of your soul based on the level of your sorrow over sin. Because here's the rather tricky part. Nobody sorrows over sin like we should. The day that this is this is this is this is a devil lie, is what this is. You cry over your sin. You did something bad. And you actually cry. You actually, you shed tears crying out to the Lord. And if you think that you've sorrowed enough, you've bought the lie. None of us do. Nobody does. Now, that doesn't say you shouldn't sorrow or be aware of it to ask, why is my conscience apparently not as tender as it once was? 
But you need to recognize that we deceive ourselves when we think that we've done a good amount of sorrowing because none of us actually do. So be careful with these examinations. There could be some sin in your life. Use it as an opportunity to reflect. But I would say this, when it comes to feelings as being the definitive arbiter of whether or not you are a child of God whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, nope, not on feelings. Don't do it. Even the Puritans wrote about seasons of cold where they wanted their affections to be stirred. Read the Valley of Vision. That is an often repeated request. Please rekindle my love for you. So don't base the status of your salvation on your feelings instead. Base your salvation on... What do you think it is? What do you, what do you, what do you think it is? You maybe said your faith, and I would say, nope. Don't base it on your faith. Your salvation is not based on your faith. You say, wait a second, we're saved by grace alone through faith, faith alone. Yes, we are. But your faith is not the secure of your salvation. Jesus is. Jesus is the one who has you. Jesus is the one who holds you. He's the one who gave you faith to begin with. It's his gift to you. So be careful. Now, it could be that your feelings are revealing something is horribly wonky. And that's okay, but don't let feelings be the judge that slams the gavel and proclaims damned. Please send stuff to idea at wretched.org. You know what gives me a lot of sorrow right now? My answer? No. Health, hmm. health insurance. Oh, Jimmy. <laughs> oh, Jimmy. What? That was as Ben no. Shapiro-y as it gets. <laughs> That's what I was going for. Oh, well, you nailed it. Re I mean, what brings you sorrow is health insurance. So you're probably going to suggest I should remind anybody who's still listening to this, which is highly unlikely anybody is, about MediShare, which is affordable biblical health sharing, where you, as a family, can save. The average family saves $500 a month. It's Christians sharing with Christians, loving one another, contributing to others' health care needs so that we can sleep at night. It's affordable biblical health sharing. It's an alternative to traditional insurance, which, let's be honest, it's just getting wrong with all of that industrial insurance. Take two minutes to call them, 844-34-BIBLE. They're nice folks. They might pray for you, so it might be longer than two minutes. You'll have to endure. 844-34-BIBLE. They will share with you how much your family can save and visit the internet. Please visit the internet. Go to metashare.com slash wretched to learn if Metashare is right for your family. This, this promotional announcement is not endorsed by Ben Shapiro. Idea at wretched.org. Wow, I feel so encouraged now. Mm -hmm. All right, this is from Jacob. Dear husband of Mrs. Friel, if uh, marriage reflects God's love for the church, what sets one's future spouse apart from others? Essentially, what makes us choose one person over another in terms of romantic love? Ah, now we're getting to it. Step number one is not romantic love. Unfortunately, that's the one we tend to put at the front of the train. It should be the caboose. The engine should be, are they saved? Do they love Jesus more than they love anybody else on the planet? 
Then you take a look at how they are growing in the Lord. How do they treat their family members? How do they treat their siblings? What is their faithfulness in church? In other words, you're looking on the inside of the individual. That's where you want to get first, because if you are just attracted to somebody romantically and they don't have any of those attributes, they're not qualified. So you've just wasted your time and probably got your heart broken and maybe stumbled into sin you did not want to stumble into. So find out about the inner man or woman first. Then you can think about the romantic attraction. There is nothing wrong with considering that. Having those feelings for somebody the opposite gender is good, and it is right. It really is. And, and, and it should perhaps by some be enjoyed more than they do. It's okay to have that buzz for your spouse. That's, that's, a, that's a lovely gift. It's, of course, there's got to be bumpers on it. It's just got to be for your spouse. But those things can be there, but they're simply not the engine that would drive the marriage train. Please get others involved. Then, okay, now this is going to sound crazy to some. I know it is. I know this is going to sound, you're young and you've identified a boy or a girl that you think is pretty groovy. Okay, before asking this person out for a date or saying yes, imagine saying this, hey, um, you know, we've been going to church together for quite a while, and it seems to me that um, it would be wise to look for a spouse inside of the context of my home church. And as I've known you for such a long time, would you be interested in spending some time discerning if the two of us might be qualified for the institution of marriage by sitting down with elders, adults, our parents? to discuss the issue. And if the guy or gal is like, not a, what are you, nuts? Say, thank you. You answered my question. But if they say, absolutely. Yes, let's sit down. Let's, let's, let's engage some wisdom from others and download what they know that we don't. And then we can, if we pass that first step, then perhaps with some guidance of others to make sure that we don't stumble into sin, then we can start to explore some of the aspects of the other person that are a component in marriage. Crazy? Mm, you might think so. But I'll tell you what I think is crazy. Hey, gorgeous. Want to go out? Movie? Okay. Pick you up at seven. Nobody's going to be with us. I'm just saying. I know a park with a really good view. So tell your parents. We're going to see a rerun of Titanic, and we're not going to be getting home until two in the morning. That, to me, is foolish. And until tomorrow, pretty good acting, though, huh, Jimmy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. More sorrow. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> <laughs> until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs> <laughs>